The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. My heart is full. <laughs> My heart is full. Singing with you. We've been ministering to one another through psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And my heart is full. I hope that's your experience this morning. Have you ever read Life Together by Dietrich Bonhoeffer? Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a book I want to dig more into. It's one of those books that I started and never finished, but I, I want to I finish it. And I was reminded of two statements that he makes, particularly uh, for those who spend time overseas on the field. Uh, but I think it could totally be relevant to people who are stationed overseas apart from loved ones, or maybe there's children studying overseas and um, you're separated, or um, maybe for some of you, like the hardest kind of separation when a loved one has, has gone to be with Christ, you know, those left behind, it could be a dozen other situations, but I, I also think that these quotes uh, relate very much to us downtown here and, and um, in general. So listen to what he says. He says, God's people remain scattered, held together solely in Jesus Christ, having become one in the fact that dispersed among unbelievers, they remember him in the far countries. And again, he says, the, the physical presence of other Christians is a source of incomparable joy and strength to the believer. So I want you to think for a moment about GPs um, and about this idea of, of being apart or separate for a season. I'm, I'm thinking specifically about GPs right now, but you, you can put your own experience in here, like the one that fits you most. We remain scattered, meaning like we're not all here together in this room right now. But we're, we're all held together solely in Jesus Christ. And, and truly, there's this oneness uh, we have in Christ by the Spirit, a oneness that may be particularly felt for those overseas. We have this sort of oneness in the fact that dispersed among unbelievers, we remember him in the far countries. And I hope this is true for all of us, and it's, it's definitely true for me. Um, and, and after this past season of so much separateness, that the physical presence of other Christians is a source of joy and strength to the believer. I hope that's your experience. I, it, it's mine, like this morning. This is, this is joy in the Lord together, being with all of you. This is wonderful. And so this brings us to our text, Colossians chapter 1, verses 3 through 8, but I, I want to pray first. Um, let's pray together that the Lord would guide us through this text. Let's pray. Almighty God, 
We come to you in the name of Jesus Christ and we ask, Lord, that in each of us now, you would do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. Lord, come get your glory in the church and in Christ Jesus right here, right now. We pray in Christ's name, amen. Amen. So Pastor Kenny, he already gave us uh, a, a little bit of background last week, but by way of reminder, uh, Paul wrote this letter to Christians um, living in the small city of Colossae, and most likely he wrote it while he was in prison on house arrest around 62 AD. Let, let that sink in. What's, what's Paul doing in prison on house arrest? Well, he's, he's trying to encourage believers in their growth in Christ and away from the false teaching of the day. And in verses 3 through 8 of chapter 1, he wants the church to know a few things. And most likely he's with Timothy. Um, he might be with Epaphras as well. He wants them to know that, number one, they have thankful hearts when praying for the local church. Number two, they're encouraged by the, the faith-filled love that the local church has as those who have their hope in heaven. Number three, they have a hope-giving gospel bearing fruit in the world and in the church. And number four, they have fellow servants and our fellow faithful ministers of Christ. So that's my outline. Let's look together at, again at verse 3. He says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Again, I'm, I'm picturing Paul in prison on house arrest in Rome, and he says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. It, it almost seems backward, doesn't it? Like, we're supposed to be praying for believers in prison, and here Paul is communicating that they have thankful hearts when praying for the local church. And this isn't an isolated group of words for Paul. In Ephesians 1.16, he says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And again in Philemon verse 4, I always thank my God when I remember you in my prayers. And this is who Paul is. He's a... He's a praying man of God who remembers the local churches, even in the midst or possibly especially in the midst of all the challenges he's going through. And you know what? The, the churches he's praying through are going through a lot of challenges. They're going through a lot of hard things. Specifically in our text, the church in Colossae is being threatened by a false gospel. As scholar Clinton Arnold says in his commentary on Colossians, the Colossians tried to combine the apostles' teaching about Christ with local pagan and Jewish folk beliefs. As a result, they were blind to the liberating power of the indwelling Christ, the supreme creator and Lord of all spiritual principalities and powers. And Paul's deeply concerned he doesn't want this church filled with people who he loves to go after false teaching. 
to go after syncretism. So Paul and those he's with want the church to know, point one, that they have thankful hearts when praying for the local church. And this begs the question, right? I mean, we, we pray for a lot of things, right? We pray for the salvation of unbelievers in our lives, and we pray for family members, and we pray for healing, and we pray uh, for God's provision. We pray for a lot of good things. How much do we pray for the, for the local church, for our local church? Lord, give us grace and, and prompting that we would remember by your Spirit to pray for this local body downtown. Lord, show us, teach us how to pray. So moving on, verse 4, Paul's communicating to the local church in Colossae that they've been praying, thanking God the Father, he says, verse 4, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints. So this is an affectionate love. This is a, a benevolent love, a hoping the best for others love that the church at Colossae has for all the saints. Think here of the love that Jesus speaks of in John 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. This is the kind of love that Paul is commending the church at Colossae for having. Paul's encouraged by their faith-filled love for the saints. Is that how the people closest to you would would describe you? I mean, this is, this is convicting for me. Am I one who in Jesus, trusting in him, am I one who has love for all the saints? And as I've been meditating on this text for the last few weeks, the Lord has brought to my mind John chapter 17. This is a glorious chapter and the ESV calls it the high priestly prayer. And the remarkable thing here is that Jesus Christ is asking the Father on behalf of future saints for the faith and love of those who he says, verse 20, who will believe in me that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. This is the same love that Paul is speaking of in Romans 5.5 5 when he says, this is glorious, God's love has been what? What does it say? God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. So in the most real sense, the reason the church in Colossae is described by Paul as having faith in Jesus Christ and love for all the saints is because Jesus prayed for it and brought it about by the Spirit and the power of God in the believers in Colossae. And the same is true for us here at Bethlehem. The same is true. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the same is true. And the only way that you or I will be found having faith in Jesus Christ and love for all the saints is because Jesus prayed for us. Amen? He prayed for us and continues to intercede on our behalf. It says he lives to make intercession. <laughs> he prays for you. Jesus prays for you. He prays for me. 
He brings about this faith in him by the spirit and the power of God in us and through us. So we see this faith in Christ and this love for all the saints. And now I want to think about hope. But I I want you to picture the word hope, H-O-P-E with a capital H. Look with me at the first part of verse 5, which builds on this idea. Uh, Paul says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints, verse 5, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. What does hope laid up in heaven mean? Well, uh, hope here could be translated as expectation. And the word the ESV translates into laid up in Greek has this idea of this expectation or hope being put away or stored up or reserved for someone or awaiting someone. And we believe that the expected hope that is awaiting us is Jesus Christ himself. He's the treasure and the reason that we hope and we long for heaven. He is our hope. So think, think back to where I started. Um, there are people in your life that you love very much that you haven't seen for a long time. Is that true for, for most of you? And you're longing to be with them. And I remember a time not too long ago uh, when we were going through the adoption process with our daughter Beatrix. And we were in Uganda and my wife flew home to the States from Uganda because she was due to give birth to our son Emmaus. And I stayed with Beatrix to finish the adoption process in Uganda, and things took much longer than expected. And Emmaus was born back in the States. And we stayed in Uganda for some time after. And I was longing to be home all together as a family. And I wanted to meet my son, and I wanted to hug and kiss my wife and children. And I I have this vivid picture of coming down the escalator at MSP and seeing my family and seeing my son and seeing a bunch of friends who had gathered to welcome us and holding my son for the first time. How much more when we see Christ, when we're fully present together with him and all the saints who've gone before us, I can't wait, (laughs) you know? I can't wait. This past season just makes me long that much more to be with Christ. He's our treasure. He's our expected hope. He is the one awaiting us, and he's the reason we long for heaven. He's our hope. Pastor John wrote back in 2005, and this seems really relevant in this season. 
The critical question, he says, for our generation and for every generation is this. If you could have heaven with no sickness and with all the friends you ever had on earth and all the food you ever liked and all the leisure activities you ever enjoyed and all the natural beauties you ever saw, all the physical pleasures you ever tasted and no human conflict or any natural disasters, could you be satisfied with heaven if Christ were not there? And I hope the emphatic answer for all of us would be no, right? No, we could not be satisfied with heaven apart from the one who satisfies us. Without Christ being there, there's, there's, there's no hope there. He's our hope and the one we long for. So in our text, Paul and the others point to they're encouraged by the faith-filled love for the saints who have their hope in heaven, namely Jesus Christ himself. So look with me back, verses 5 and 6. Paul goes on. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. So of this, of this, this, this hope you have laid up in heaven, namely Jesus, of this you've heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel. And this same phrase, the word of the truth or the word of truth is used by Paul in Ephesians as he's unpacking to the church in Ephesus the words of truth. He says, the gospel of your salvation. The gospel of your salvation. I want to tell you about a miracle. Right? We were singing Waymaker, Miracle Worker. It's the most amazing kind of miracle ever experienced by men. And I hope you're freshly amazed when you hear about this miracle. Listen. Your salvation. Your salvation and my salvation is a miracle brought about by the word of the truth, the gospel, which Paul says is the power of God for salvation to all who believe. So look with me at, at verse 6. Paul says, The gospel which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Do you remember? How did the gospel come to you? Like what, what were you doing? Where were you? What season of life were you in when the gospel came to you? When this miracle of salvation changed everything? And I want to jump back to the book of Ephesians chapter 2 because I want to remember together here who we were and who we are in Christ. Let me read. Remember, Paul says, that you were dead 
in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. What are the next two words? What are the next two words? But God, amen. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. How did the gospel come to you? Well, God prepared beforehand that in some way, through someone, maybe many people, you would hear and experience the power of God for salvation. The power of God, the gospel at work in your soul, and that by the grace of God, through the gift of faith, God made you alive together with Christ. He made us alive. We were dead and he made us alive together with Christ. What an amazing gift. This is the gospel of your salvation. And back to our text. This gospel, Paul says, verse 6, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Why, why does he say that? Why does Paul say that the gospel is, is bearing fruit and increasing? And how does this happen? And this kind of gets to the point, like what is the point of the local church? What is God's purpose for the local church? What is his plan? Listen to the words of Jesus from the gospel of John again, and then the words of Paul from the book of Romans again. Jesus says to his disciples in John chapter 15, you did not chose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. Now Paul from Romans 10, this is a familiar verse, but let it never be trite to us, Lord. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed and how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? in whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Point three, brothers and sisters. 
we have a hope giving gospel, bearing fruit in the world and in the church. And this hope-giving gospel is the power of God for salvation in all the world. And God's plan is that you and I would go and make disciples, not relying on methodologies, not relying merely on strategies, certainly not relying on eloquent words and having all the right words to speak, but rather fully confident in the Word of God, this is our methodology, the Word of God, and that God's Word will never return back void. It will always accomplish the purpose for which it's been sent forth. Back to our text, verses 7 and 8. This gospel... I hope you've seen this. This gospel is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Paul says, verses 7 and 8, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He's a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. So this guy, Epaphras, he's mentioned three times in the epistles. But listen how Paul describes him later on in Colossians chapter 4. Paul writes, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus greets you, Listen to what he says. Always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. So we learn about Epaphras that he speaks the gospel. I hope that's true of all of us, that we are people who speak the gospel to ourselves, certainly, Lord, help us speak the gospel to ourselves, to our families, to our roommates, to our co-workers, to those who've never heard, those who've never, never heard. They're here. They're here in Minneapolis. They're here in St. Paul. They're here in the Twin Cities. They're here in the Metro. They're here in Minnesota. They're everywhere. He speaks the gospel. Epaphras speaks the gospel. We learn that he's a beloved fellow servant, that he's a faithful minister of Christ on behalf of the church in Colossae. And he makes known to Paul and his companions the love of the church in Colossae, that the love that they have in the Spirit. So point four, just as is described of Epaphras, may we be fellow servants and faithful ministers of Christ together. I don't know how many of you were here for Pastor Bud's sermon, what was it, a couple months ago, and he just kept using the word together. And every time he said together, it sounded sweeter and sweeter and sweeter to my soul. So may we be fellow ministers of the gospel together. 
Now in closing, I want you to know some things, Bethlehem. We, meaning my wife and I and, and our children, and we, meaning fellow teammate sent out from downtown, we, meaning our team, we, meaning, I'm confident, GPs scattered throughout the world in far countries. We've been praying for you. often with many tears. We've been praying for you. It's been a difficult season to be apart. To not be present here with you. And I hope you believe me when I tell you that being present with you right now is a source of great joy and strength. for my soul, for our souls. I told Pastor Chuck last week at the pastor's conference, I said, this is like fuel. This is like fuel, (laughs) just filling me. Great joy in the Lord being together. I'm experiencing joy in the Lord being here with you right now as we sing together and as we rehearse the gospel together as we pray together and as we study this glorious book of truth together, we've been praying for you from a far place. And the glorious thing is that week after week, we praise God for this, you've been praying for us by name. You've been praying for our children. You've been praying as we GPs have undergone a lot of suffering and rejoiced with us as we've welcomed new brothers and sisters into the family of God. In prayers, our prayers for you and your prayers for us, listen to Revelation chapter five. It says, and when he, the lamb, when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp, and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you've made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Listen, our prayers are not to a deaf God. God hears, and he sees, and he knows. Prayers are not wasted. And I want to highlight love, this this love for all the saints. This is a theme for Paul in other letters, and I know that most of you are probably very familiar with 1 Corinthians 13, but I think it applies here. So let me, let me read this to you. I just ask if, if you're willing, just close your eyes and just let the word of God wash over you right now. Paul says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, 
I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. And love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they'll pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly but then, face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Bethlehem, we have thankful hearts when we pray for you. We thank God for you, and we're so grateful for years of being poured into, for years of being loved in significant and particular ways, for your generosity, for opportunities to serve alongside of you. We thank God the Father for you, Bethlehem. May we be encouraged by one another as those who pour out faith-filled love to those around us, as saints who have their hope in heaven, Jesus. We believe together, don't we, that we have a hope-giving gospel bearing fruit in the world and in the church. And may we be fellow servants together, faithful ministers together. Together by the all-sufficient grace of God. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, This is our great desire. And we come to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Thank you for the recent reminder that Jesus is the one who says to Paul and to us here, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. 
Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Lord, we long to be with you, fully present all together with you, with all the saints who've gone before us. We can't wait. And Lord, we feel our weakness. Please help us, Lord, to go out from this moment, wherever in the world we find ourselves, whatever season we find ourselves in, help us to go out in your love with your power for salvation, the gospel on our lips, Lord, and by your grace, see people brought from death to life by your mighty hand. We ask in your all-powerful name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others. But please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720 13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.